and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. This is Greg Ballard, your host, and with a special guest, Alexander Kuntz. He is the co-founder and CEO of Up2 Labs, and uh, really glad to have him here with us today. Alexander, welcome. Oh, thanks, Greg. Uh, happy to be here, and thanks for the invite. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit, how did, uh, how did Up2 Labs come into existence? Yeah, so uh, the story itself is pretty long, and it, it, it really kind of started with, um, you know, my, my adventure started really in high school and making different career choices to get to where I'm at. And the reason that's kind of an important point is because everything has led up to the situation of me starting a company, different varying skill sets, different jobs and in different industries, which I felt really rounded uh, my experience to be able to um, own and operate a company on a global scale. Uh, but we started this company with a concept. Um, the co-founder and myself were both Navy SEALs. And not only were we both Navy SEALs, but we also were in the same platoon together. Um, I would argue that our relationship back then was, we're kind of friends, but we're more contentious than anything because we were just, we were high performers. And so we were always trying to get one up on the other, whether it was shooting, running, physical exercise, or, you know, uh, whatever it was. So back then we were avid consumers of the best nutrition money could buy. I mean, we were spending two, 300 bucks a month, but over the course of 10 years, uh, this, this pattern kind of emerged that created this opportunity. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we would train hard uh, and get to our peak. And then at some point we'd get an injury and then we'd go on a decline while we're recovering. And then it was this never ending cycle of high performance, recovery, high performance, recovery. And so, you know, we really, uh, Jeff and myself, we fundamentally started with a question and that is, can we create a nutritional supplement that could provide for um, the physical and mental needs of somebody like a Navy SEAL. Um, and obviously the applicability would be anybody who's competing at a high level of performance. So the concept originated back when we were both in active duty. Um, Jeff uh, left the SEAL teams before I did and then uh, started contracting with the Central Intelligence Agency. And I pursued a corporate career once I got out, um, working for a number of Fortune 250 companies, everything from risk management, cybersecurity, mergers and acquisitions, um, to uh, being a senior vice president at a large M&A firm. And then prior to Op2 Labs, I had started a clothing company called Nicholas K um, with my brother and sister, uh, but stepped out of that business about four years later. Um, so... Mm -hmm. I went in a corporate career, 9-11 happened. Um, I felt uh, a need to, 
you know, contribute the skills that I had acquired over the many years to go do something there. So I, at the time, uh, just because of, you know, personal issues, I couldn't afford to actually <clears throat> go back into active duty military because I just had a separation and then the, um, you know, the, the spousal support that I had to pay was considerably more than what the military would have paid me. And, you know, in California, it doesn't matter. You, I, I tried to go back to a judge and the judge said, doesn't matter. You know, you, you're choosing to pursue another career. You know, what you have to pay is still going to be the same. So having to deal with that, my only option was to contract. And so I contracted as well for about two and a half years. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, what led me to really focus on my professional career was I had a son and I had a uh, custody battle, uh, you know, shortly after he was born. And I knew the one reason that I would lose custody over my son would be because of my professional career and traveling a lot. Um, so I chose to focus on corporate career. And again, that led to starting Nicholas K. Um, and then 2012, I was already not, I was not contracting at the time. Jeff, the co-founder, was still contracting. And you know, he gave me a call one day to check in and, you know, said, hey, listen, I don't want to do this, continue to do this for the rest of my life. Um, what do you think about, you know, that thing that we talked about many years ago? And so, of course, I said yes. And so, so we started really a lot of research. Uh, so we formed the company in 2012, but really two years was research and formulation. So reading a lot of different medical journals, a lot of different scientific studies on different types of protein, um, proteins, you know, we were looking at research conducted in the United States, research in Switzerland, Sweden, Germany. And once we identified the particular protein that we thought would meet our needs, we developed basically four you know, four requirements. And because we weren't really formulators or chemists, uh, we ended up partnering with a, you know, a, a doctor uh, and a chemist out of Stanford. And, you know, it took about a year to formulate our first product. And then, you know, about a half, half year or longer to actually flavor that product. Um, and then we la officially launched in 2014. I love it. I love it. And so some of your products here, you have uh, the protein powder and the frog fuel. Um, and I notice here on the frog fuel that you have some folks in jujitsu, CrossFit, uh, Olympians um, that are all using this. Uh, I, me and my family, we've been practicing jujitsu now. We picked it up during COVID and um, we've been having a lot of fun with it. Can you speak to the folks, the people and the, the, the market that, that you're serving through these products a little bit? Yeah, so uh, we, you know, first and foremost, we are a collagen protein. Um, we were actually one of the first companies to enter the collagen market years ago. Um, at the time, you know, the protein market was fairly well saturated uh, with a lot of different players. And there were some larger players here in the United States that pretty much dominated the market and, and also dominated the research. So, you know, kind of getting back to my earlier point, you know, the market here in the United States is really focused on whey, and there wasn't a lot of research on different proteins like vegetable proteins, collagen, and other things. But the research overseas was fairly dramatic in that they were actually using collagen to repair knee joints. Um, 
to treat macular degeneration where the rods and cones in your eyes were dying, that it would actually reverse that process. So we knew we wanted collagen, but, you know, in these studies, they were, you know, they were receiving grants of a million plus. So, you know, they weren't necessarily developing a product that was commercially viable. So that was our biggest challenge. How do we create something that doesn't exist in the market um, and then make it commercially viable? Um, but, um, and then how do you enter a market which is largely dominated by bigger players? So our vision was to be the first nutrition company to act, actually bridge the gap between medical and sports nutrition. And so we felt the only way we could do that is to launch as a medical brand. And that's what Protein Gold is. So mm-hmm. Protein Gold is used around the world in well over 4,000 medical facilities. It's used for the treatment of over 14 different medical indications, everything from bariatric uh, surgery to dialysis to post-surgical wound care, uh, burn treatment uh, for arthritis and a number of, no, number of other things. Um, but we started as a clinical product and, you know, part of the challenge of being a clinical product was how do you then market to a demographic of consumers that's largely focused on active lifestyle, um, whether that's professional for sports or just, you know, going for a walk. So that's when we decided that, you know, it's very difficult to have a single online presence and try to communicate to varying and very distinct messages. So that's when we launched Frog Fuel, and we launched Frog Fuel on the coattails of Protein Gold. So we used we used a lot of the clinical research we had around Protein Gold to really communicate the proven benefits of Frog Fuel. Unlike you know a lot of other products out there that were just making claims and then disclaiming those claims with an FDA statement, we had true clinical research going into the market, um, and that's you know kind of how we got to where we're at. I love it. I love it. So now let's talk a little bit about the, um, the organization. I mean, you, you, you started, you became a startup, you went out, you got the research, you built a team, you created a product, you launched it. Uh, you've launched another product under that, you know, another product as well, another brand, another line. Uh, tell us how has the organization grown over time and what are some of the, um, uh, the lessons learned in uh, to date so far in, in building a, a team? Yeah. So lessons learned. I mean, it, you know, we bootstrap this company. So when you bootstrap a company, it's relatively slow growth. Um, and, you know, the first individual we brought on for our sales team was an individual that had a lot of experience at retail. And, you know, the way we like to operate our companies, we like to empower our, our um, you know, our employees to be able to make decisions and, and take accountability for those decisions. So at that time, you know, we had an individual came over from retail. He largely wanted to focus on retail early on as a company. And that was actually a wrong decision um, because, you know, what happens is as a cash strapped organization, you know, a lot of people have this perspective. Hey, I go into Walmart or GNC. I'm instantly uh, a, a large brand. Well, that's there's nothing further from the truth. And not only that, your profit margins are so, so small that you're not generating enough profit margin to actually be able to grow at a rate that's, you know, sufficient to get to your goals and objectives in year four or five. So we, we were originally in Walmarts um, 
And our maximum growth rate because of cash flow was about 25%. That's what we could achieve year over year. Um, profit margins were almost non-existent. The level of effort was very high. Um, the, you know, the, from a branding perspective, being in that many stores really didn't help us. Um, you know, it didn't really build a, build a brand or reputation for us. So I had to make a, a hard decision back then because we were in around 2,000 locations. And I think it was about $80,000 a month we were pulling in. But, you know, when you extrapolate all the fees that you're paying, our profits were like $295. But what had happened is they have unique requirements, like, you know, basically to say that at all times you have to have three months of inventory at your warehouse for this, you know, these customers. So now on top of the $80,000 worth of product you have in store, you have $360,000 worth of inventory sitting in a warehouse that you had to pre-produce. So, you know, even though our theoretical maximum growth rate was 25%, in actuality, it was about 15%. So, um, you know, the hard decision for me was to pull out of Walmart and other retailers. So we chose to leave GNC and Walmart. And, and even though we lost a significant portion of revenue, uh, since we've done that, our growth rate year over year has averaged about 90%. Um, so, you know, in terms of our growth, we're the third year Fortune 5000 company. Um, so we started off at 4,400 on the list, and now we're at about uh, in the 2000 range of fastest growing companies. So, um, yeah, That's so fantastic. I, yeah, and so, you know, our, our focus industry wide is we have three distinct or four distinct areas of business. Uh, first and foremost, it's medical, uh, servicing medical facilities. That's everything from hospitals, dialysis, bariatric treatment centers, chemotherapy treatment, uh, sports rehabilitation, um, you know, wound care centers, burn treatment centers. And then the second area of business is direct to consumer where we're selling online. Um, that's both our own, own online presence as well as Amazon. And uh, the third area is our international uh, business. So currently we're signed, we have signed contracts with five different countries and in the process of signing contracts with another four or five before the end of the year. Um, and our goal is to be in 23 countries in the next two years. So 23, in, you want to be in 23 countries in the next two years. That sounds pretty aggressive. Um, how many, well, how many countries are you in today? Uh, five. Okay. Yeah. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty steep curve. So let's talk a little bit about um, a couple of things. I want to, I want to talk about the team and how the team has grown, but first I really want to kind of dive in into your mind, um, Alex, a little bit. And, and throughout this process, throughout your career, you've, you've been adaptive. I mean, you, you, you're a Navy SEAL. Um, I, I can't relate to that experience only through what I've read and what I've seen in the movies, right? But you've lived it. And I imagine that training has laid the foundation for a lot of the success that you've created in your career. Uh, what are some things maybe you could share with our listeners that you do maybe on a daily basis or on some kind of routine that helps you to stay adaptive and to be able to make the kind of decisions like, I'm going to pull my product off the shelves of all our retailers and pivot into a new direction? Because that sounds like a pretty difficult decision, mm -hmm. but it also sounds like it was the right one. And you were able to make that call. What are the what are the things that you do um, that allow you to make that have that insight and to be able to make those decisions? 
Yeah, I think the most important point in being able to make decisions like that is just really eliminating pride and ego in your business decisions. And, you know, I, a, a good mentor of mine always said, you know, important business decisions need to be unemotional. And, 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 that, and that's, you know, nothing can be further from the truth. But, you know, some of the things I do, I, I physically, you know, I believe that physical, um, physical fitness is a very important component of who I am. And not necessarily just for health reasons, but, you know, I think it's a good way to be able to test yourself uh, continuously. And what I mean by that is that, you know, throughout our careers, we accomplish a goal. And what happens is when we accomplish that goal is that our perspective is aligned with reality because we know what our capabilities are. We know what we can accomplish. But over time, when you don't test yourself, your perspective of who you are begins to separate from reality and your perspective of who you are, what you're capable of is here, but in reality, what you are is down here. And so that's what I use physical mm. fitness for because it's something that's measurable. You know, if I'm not a, I'm not a long distance runner, but if I want to go challenge myself, I can set a goal like, Hey, I want to go run 30 miles. And guess what? Probably the first time I tried, I'm not going to be able to do it. And now what I've done is align perception with reality because at one point I'm like, well, I can do anything, but the reality is you can't. And so that's, you know, that's very important to me. Um, you know, it's not only about physical fitness. I mean, there are other things you can do to challenge yourself, but the reason why I like fitness activities is there's so many different types of fitness activities and they're very easy to measure, right? You can set a goal. And you know, at any given point in time, whether or not mentally and physically you're capable of actually doing that. Um, so that's the first for me. Um, the second, you know, the second one is really about building a business structure for success. All too many times I've heard, you know, stories about entrepreneurs starting a business with a co-founder. And, you know, when you don't have division of responsibilities and everybody's doing everything, everything's cohesive and everything tends to operate and everybody goes in the same direction. But as you start to mature as an organization and now you're divesting accountability in different parts of your organization, what happens, and I've seen this more times than not, is now you have one co-founder who wants to go this direction and you have another co-founder who wants to go this direction. And now they're competing. And what that typically leads to is, is you know, if they can't agree on a, a course, the business suffers and the business fails. Um, and so what I mean about creating a structure, you know, many times you'll see, you know, whether you create a private company or structure a private company or a, you know, S-Corp is that, you know, you'll have two founders with equal shares. And essentially what that means is, you know, a quorum for voting is divested in two members that have to agree on something. And if they don't agree, then it's a stalemate. So, you know, in every yeah. company, yep. yeah. Oh, and, 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 and believe it or not, you know, we, we acquired a technology from a company for that very same problem. Uh, there were a number of co-founders in that company. They didn't agree on a direction. And so as a result, the, you know, company at their best, I think did about a million dollars in revenue. And then, you know, year after is 800 year after that, it was $700,000. And so we did a, you know, we did an acquisition of that company, but it was all because, you know, the structure of the company. So, you know, even though we are an LLC corporation or LLC company, um, 
we built a structure in place of, of having a board of management. It, it's not a very common thing for LLCs because typically what happens is LLCs are mm-hmm. owned and operated by the founders or the members. But what I force, foresaw was, you know, a way to alleviate conflict in the problem because I know if me and my co-founder didn't agree, there's nothing that we could do to make that agreement happen, right? So, so our, our company is, unlike other LLCs, is board managed. And what that means is we have six board members, myself and my co-founder, each a board member, but the, the, you know, the way voting rights work with our board of directors is each board member has one equal vote. And so if there's conflict, if me and my co-founder don't agree, the board of directors can actually settle, settle that disagreement. Um, which, and, and on top of that, the board of directors actually, um, decides who is, um, you know, who sits in a C-level position that has to be approved by the board of directors. Um, and the great thing about it too, is that I like is I may be, may be the guy that gets us to a $200 million company, but I may not be the guy to get us from a $200 million to a billion dollar company. And the board of directors has every right and opportunity to just say, listen, Alex, you've done a great job getting here, but now it's time for somebody else to step in. And that to me really eliminates the pride and ego. You know, it's the, I call it like the, the, the pride of ownership. You know, it's the proverbial tree sitting on the hill. You know, every person that walks up to that tree has got to pee on it to call it their own tree. When in reality, you know, it's, that's just, it's really just ego. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah. that that to me is the most important part of our business is designing the business in such a way that you're taking ego and ego out of the decision making process and structuring it in such a way that you're inevitably setting it up for long term success um, in the future. Yeah, I like the way you, you characterize it. And so I, I would, you know, kind of phrase it around the steely eyed, you know, um, you know, looking at reality for what reality and making decision, decisions based on objective logic and data. Um, you know, and, and so it's just another way to say the same thing, using objectivity and logic to, to make business decisions rather than you know, your, pet profit, your pet project, how you feel, how you, how you think it should go, right? Um, and allowing that ego and that subjectivity to get brought into it. So excellent, excellent. What I want to pivot a little bit to um, team. And so you've talked about how you've built the, the, the structure of the organization as an organization for leadership. Um, how has the team grown for operations and how are you helping them to stay adaptive? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I do, th- to, to kind of elaborate on this point a little bit, uh, you, you know, there definitely is a transition um, when you're maturing as a company. And what I mean by that is, is in many cases, you'll find that there are a number of employees who join your company as a smaller company that can't very easily make that transition to a high growth company or a more mature uh, culture. Um, so, you know, part of the adaptability for us is uh, like, you know, it goes to my earlier point about empowerment is you, you, you have to learn to let go of responsibilities and uh, let others um take accountability, take responsibility for certain types of decisions in your organization. And I would argue if you're uncomfortable doing that, 
then you haven't hired the right person for that role. Um, so that's very paramount, right? As a CEO, I need to be focused on the strategy and growth and communicating with my employees. Um, and really the other part of it is, is really setting in place that culture that I want to, you know, that culture that I want to be retained as we continue to grow as an organization. That's my future set of responsibilities. My future set of responsibilities isn't doing website design, isn't logging into our Amazon account to see our daily sales performance, right? So I need to learn to step my level of engagement up to a higher level. And at the same time, hiring uh, key areas in the company and divesting that accountability to allow them to make certain types of decisions. So as an example, you know, I, you know, our marketing budget is the largest budget in our company. Um, I will not overrule a decision made by my CMO, right? Um, a lot of times vendors will come to me. What do you think about this technology? What do you think about a partnership? I tell them every time you have to talk to my, you know, CMO. Um, well, you know, but hey, we want to talk to you. Can you make that decision? No, I can't, right? And that's one thing I really believe in is that if you're going to hold somebody accountable um, for good and bad decisions, you have to allow them to make those decisions. You can't hold somebody accountable if you're going to sit here and overrule every decision they make because that's really on you at that point. Um, so, you know, that's really empowerment. Um, the other aspect is you can't be afraid um, to make organizational changes, including uh, letting individuals go if they're just not a fit for the organization. Um, the age-old adage is you you uh, hire slow, fire fast, and you know that's that's something that's proven over time. And you ask any entrepreneur, or business leader who's ever had HR issues, it's usually because they did not adhere to you know to that kind of basic principle there. Um, so. We, we, we uh, did go through somewhat of a transition. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, I've been, a lot of my time has been consumed rebuilding my finance team because we had a, a, a CFO who was having some type of issues. Um, they, it, it felt like there was some type of drug dependency to me or something, but, you know, somebody who is communicating things are working properly. I'm going to get this done. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I tend to trust my employees. So we got into a situation where I had a board meeting in June and said, Hey, you know, I need, need all these reports and I, I need to know where we sit in terms of metrics and no response. You know, I start digging into the ERP system myself and find out that, you know, a lot of the GL accounts and numbers aren't adding up going back to January. So I did a further audit and found out that, you know, we were six months behind in reconciliation, six months behind in accounts payables. Um, somebody wasn't doing their job. So I ended up firing my CFO and it got to the point where my CFO wasn't really managing uh, their resources effectively. So I had my two finance people quit because they were so overwhelmed with the amount of work that had to be done. Now, you know, a lot of CEOs would kind of look at that and say that's a fairly catastrophic thing that happened in, in their company. Unemotionally, I looked at it and said, you know, that's really an indicator to me that I don't have the right team in place. You know, we're kind of, you know, we're, it's, we're the proverbial snowball sitting on top of the hill and it's about to start rolling down and we need to control that, you know, control how fast it goes down the hill. So I really need a new team. 
And so I just got finished building the new team and the new team is just phenomenal. And so another example of where something that could be looked at negatively and emotionally turned out to be a very positive change for the company to really support our growth moving forward. So there's two things I want to um, highlight in what you've said, and then, and then we'll begin to wrap up and, and kind of close out our interview today. Uh, but Alex, there's two things you just, when you talked about the, the uh, decision to pull products off of the shelf, right? And how uh, many folks may look at that and be like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, a, that's a, a poor move, or you must be in a de desperate place to have to make that move. And then looking at the, what, is going, what happened in your finance team, and what you've just demonstrated is what we call re to reframing, you know, being able to look at the situation from a different perspective and put a new frame on it and be able to move forward in a positive way. And I think that's a key, a key element here that we want to kind of highlight as we talk about being adaptive and being an adaptive leader is being able to reframe. And so uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us and sharing your story with us. Um, before, we, before we do wrap up, um, Alex, I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you, you know, I'm always curious and I know our listeners curious to what executives are reading on a regular basis to stay in tune with the market. And so is there um, a periodical, a channel, um, uh, somebody that's out there that does reporting that you like to pay attention to, to keep up on, you know, what's going on in your market and in industry? Yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, I used to watch the news a lot, but I, I don't really, I find myself disinterested in watching the news just because it, it just I, I I don't really know what's true and what's not true anymore so I, I find that a little bit disheartening um, and it's just the honest truth I mean it doesn't matter politically what side of the seat you sit on I just feel like it's all just not very reliable um, so I do read a lot of books um, written by other entrepreneurs of high, high growth organizations um, I do network a lot. So I'm part of EO um, Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a global organization of CEOs and forums. Uh, I just I was just invited to Birthing of the Giants, which is another collaborative uh, platform as well. Um, and I do uh, EO also on top of, you know, myself reading books. They have a lot of monthly events where they have guest speakers coming in and talking about everything from health and wellness to, um, you know, marketing to you know, how to, how to value your company. And so I, I intentionally make time to attend those events and don't let excuses stand in the way of broadening my horizon and my knowledge. And I, I think that's important. I mean, to be adaptable, um, you have to be adaptable yourself. And that, that even applies to your, your knowledge and your education. You know, at one point you may know everything, but the practical reality is you put more time in between you and your objective um, the knowledge gap starts to grow significantly. Um, and especially with, you know, the ever-changing kind of geopolitical climate, you know, you have to put more effort into educating yourself into how things work on a global scale to be able to scale effectively as an organization. Excellent. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for joining us today. Is there any final thoughts you have for our listeners uh, before we wrap up? No, I, the only final thought is, you know, just, it, you know, if you have an idea and you, you believe it enough, just go for it. You know, you're, it, the practical reality is I've, I've had three entrepreneurial journeys and with each of those journeys, despite how much I thought I knew, I had probably more failures than successes in trying to get to where we're at. So, I mean, that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. And 
Um, you just learn how to approach those, reframe those things, so to say, and approach them from an unemotional perspective and just continue down your path. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.